Hi, my name is Morgan Maitland, and this is the King and Kingdom podcast, where we study the Bible to know the King and seek first His kingdom. In this series, we focus on understanding the Old Testament. Okay, here is a summary of Old Testament history. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made man and woman in his image to multiply and fill the earth and to rule over the earth on his behalf. Following are two big events that have a similar pattern. The two events are the fall and the flood. The pattern is sin, judgment, redemption, and promise. The big takeaway from these events is that despite man's sin, God provides a way for salvation. He makes unconditional promises to produce a savior from the woman and preserve her offspring by never flooding the earth again. After the flood, there is an event called the Tower of Babel, and many nations are scattered out of that event. And out of the many, God chooses one man. That is Abram. God makes an unconditional covenant with Abram. First, he promises him individual blessing. He promises him his presence, prosperity, and protection. Then he promises national blessing. He promises Abram a great posterity. That is many descendants that would form the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel would receive a great possession in the land of Canaan. And finally, he promises Abram international blessing. Through Abraham's offspring, all the nations will be blessed, and we can expect that the promised Savior of the world will come through Abraham. This covenant promise is passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob who's the father of 12 sons, forming the 12 tribal heads of Israel. Now, the tragic events in Joseph's life are used by God to bring the people of Israel to Egypt so that they'd be preserved through a famine. In Egypt, the people of Israel grow to about 2 million over a couple hundred years. A new pharaoh rises up against Israel, and he oppresses the people by enslaving them and killing their children. This is the impetus for a great redemptive movement of God, where he saves and sanctifies his people. He gives them three gifts through three events, liberty through the Exodus, the law in the wilderness, and land through the conquest. The leadership baton is passed from Moses to Joshua, and then from Joshua to the next generation in Israel. This generation after Joshua does not keep and do what is written in the law. They compromise. They allow pagan nations to dwell in the land, and they end up worshiping their idols. Their compromise leads to total corruption in the time of the judges. In the time of the judges, there are seven cycles of sin, 
slavery, supplication, salvation, and silence. Israel sins against God and they worship idols. Then they become slaves of foreign nations. They cry out to God for help. God sends a judge to save them. And then there's silence until the judge dies. Then the cycle repeats and continues. By the end of the time of Judges, Israel is totally corrupt, and they desperately need a reformation, someone to take the people back to God. Samuel is that man. Samuel's the man God uses to reform the nation and usher in a new stage called the United Kingdom. God appoints kings to rule his people. This was the expectation laid out in the law. And God appoints these kings to rule the nation of Israel in a time where they would experience great prosperity and success. The United Kingdom is a microcosm of what God's forever kingdom will look like one day. Just a shadow of the more brilliant reality in the future. So the first king in this kingdom is Saul, who was the people's choice. He was a man after his own glory and not God's, and so he fails. The second king is David. He's a man after God's own heart. God gives him an unconditional covenant, a promise, to establish a royal line for the Messiah. This would be a king who will reign forever in his kingdom. So the promised king will come through Abraham, and then Judah, and now David. The third king is David's son, Solomon. Now early in his career, he takes Israel to the height of their success and power. He employs the wisdom of God to rule the people God's way. Unfortunately, he has three strikes against him that lead to a decline. First, He accumulates war horses, trusting in military power over God's power. Second, he accumulates many wives who eventually lead him astray after their idols. Thirdly, he accumulates too much wealth. It expresses a greater worth in earthly treasures than in God's heavenly treasures. Now, because of Solomon's strikeout, God strips the kingdom from his son, Rehoboam, which leads to the era of the divided kingdom. When Solomon dies and Rehoboam takes the throne, the kingdom of Israel ends up splitting. Ten tribes go north, and that nation's called Israel. Two tribes stay south, and that nation's called Judah. Now, there are no good kings in Israel. Their immorality leads the nation to destruction and dispersion by the Assyrians. There are a few good kings in Judah, some who follow after God and obey his word, but mostly bad kings who bring the nation to ultimate decline and captivity under the Babylonians. In this divided kingdom, God speaks through his prophets. And the prophets have two messages, essentially. Number one, they warn the people that if they continue to disregard God's law, they will experience the consequences that God promised. And two, they wrote to give the people hope, hope of a future 
salvation. See, the prophets spoke and said that even though they disobey the old covenant, that is the law, God will transform the hearts of the people and bring them to repentance in a new covenant. He'll keep his unconditional promises in the Abrahamic covenant, in the Davidic covenant. He will preserve that royal line, and he'll eventually bring a remnant of his people back to himself in repentance and back to the land to establish the kingdom forever. But in the meantime, because of Israel's sin, the people are taken into exile, which is the next phase in Old Testament history, the exile phase. Israel, the northern kingdom, is overtaken and dispersed under the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. Judah, the southern kingdom, is overtaken and enslaved under the Babylonian Empire in 605 BC. Babylon does this in three stages or three sieges. Now, during the exile, God shows his sovereignty by raising up empires to accomplish his will and destroying empires to accomplish his will. All the while, God is obviously in control. He is the Most High King, and he will eventually establish his forever kingdom. So the people of Israel are in exile 70 years, just as was promised by Jeremiah. And then they are released under Cyrus. And this takes us to the last movement in Old Testament history, the return The people of Israel returned to the land in three phases. First, Zerubbabel leads the first group back and starts to work on the temple. Second, Ezra leads the second group back and he finishes the temple and Ezra establishes order for worship according to God's word. And then finally, Nehemiah leads the third group back to build walls around the city for protection according to God's word. Now, this final phase sets the stage for the coming Messiah. The people are back in the land, but they have no king. The temple is built, but God's glory doesn't dwell in it, and the priesthood starts to corrupt itself. There are 400 years of silence, and there's no word from God or his prophets. And as usual, the people start to decline. It is clear they need a savior. They need someone to deal with sin permanently, to restore faith in God's covenant promises, to call people to repentance, to provide a way for sinners to be made right with holy God. They need a better prophet, a better priest, a better king, a son of Abraham, a son of David. They need the Christ. And then you turn the page to the New Testament, and you're hit with this lightning bolt. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here he is. All glory to God, who sends his king and will establish his kingdom forever. Amen.